Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Chai FM on my Finding Human program. I'm on Skype today and my guest is Dr. Les Glassman from Israel. And our topic is, in our divided world, is unity possible? We, Les and I would like to dedicate this program to Harold Smokey Simon, a true legend who passed away on the 28th of February, just short of his 102nd birthday. Les and I both had the privilege of interviewing him. Les met him a few times, so he was luckier than I was. Fly gently, Smokey. Hello, Les, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your incredible program and show. And you're right, Smokey, may his dear soul rest in peace and may his memory be for eternal blessing, was a not only an icon, but he was a hero and he was a mensch and he was such an incredible person. So it was and such an honor to meet him. Yes, and, and him. you were so lucky to meet him, Les, gosh. I was in his home and he was so kind to me. I interviewed him a few times. You know, he was a Vitz graduate. and. Oh, Sure, and he actually, uh, his story was so riveting and he just made you feel so at home when we, when I came to visit him and then I actually brought people to, to meet him as well. A good friend of mine, his son uh, was in the Israeli Air Force and it was his dream to meet Smokey and we, Smokey al- allowed him to come and we spent our afternoon together and it was, it was just absolutely unbelievable. Well, my grandson, Joshua, also had the privilege of meeting him, even though it was on Zoom. But Liz, I, you know what? I asked you to please send me your, your uh, CV and I had a good laugh because you sent one back saying, I've never done a CV. And I had heard a YouTube which said, build your life, not your resume. And this really fills your shoes. Uh, this is this is who you are you have built your life and that has become your resume and i'm actually in awe of all that you have done so let me just introduce a little bit uh, 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 we, we're going to go through various things that you have done and you're going to discuss it but right now i'd like to thank your sister karen chernick who gave you my number and les was the one who introduced miriam bracher to me who i had on my program a few weeks ago I do think, um, Les, that this quote by Simon Sinek fills your, fills, is really very much indicative of who you are. Life is beautiful not because of the things we see or do. Life is beautiful because of the people we meet. And you have met so many f- incredible people. We're going to get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson and I'm back with Dr. Les Glassman. And Les is in Israel and he is a dentist there. And welcome again, Les. You you started talking to me as we went to Advert. What were you going to say? 
uh, that it's very kind of you to say the things that you said there. I've just been very fortunate to meet incredible people. It's not my doing. It's just uh, it's been a gift that I've been able to just uh, connect with just the most amazing Holocaust survivors and um, Israelis and uh, from all walks of life. And um, I'm just very grateful that I've had that opportunity. And Liz, I see you say that your grandmother, uh, Zahava, was your inspiration. Uh, How was she your inspiration? So, you know, we were four grandchildren. My mother was the only only child, the only daughter. Um, She had a very hard life. She she actually was born in Mariupol in Lithuania, and she spoke about um, Lithuania. It became very real to us. We, we would love to hear the stories. My biggest regret is that I never videoed her speaking, and I wish I would have. But, you know, those memories are with me every day. And we had such a love of, of Lita and Lithuania and her family. It was a very close family, and they were very Zionistic. Her father sent the mother and my grand and her brothers to Israel. Well, in those days, it was Palestine. In the time of the Turks, they were so Zionistic. They spoke Hebrew at home. And education was really important. And her father sent her, her parents sent her with her brothers to, to France to study at uh, in Toulouse at the university in mm-hmm. the 20s, which was very unusual for a girl to study at university in a foreign country, in a foreign language. And there she met her husband and they came to South Africa. And unfortunately, her father passed away and her husband passed away. And she was left with her, her daughter, who was my mother. Mm-hmm. But my, my grandmother, we used to ask her, who's your favorite grandchild? And she would say to us, look at your hand. Choose which is your favorite finger. Oh. <laughs> she says, I've got, I've got no favorites. You're all my favorite. Oh, but, that's beautiful. So she was our inspiration. You know, we, we loved being with her. And um, my brother stayed with her. And then I stayed with her. And we would never, you know, when she was getting on in age, we we just would never dream of sending her to a home. She was in her own house and her family all came to, to visit her. She was a religious lady and she just instilled with us the love of Yiddishkeit and the love of Israel and um, the love of history. Well, that's a wonderful tribute to her, Liz. And uh, honestly, she's obviously had a great influence on your life. And I see that you actually went to Wits Dental School. I know that you are and you are um, you were asked to be the Wits alumni representative in Israel. But after matriculating, you went to the Wits Dental School and you had your kippah on, your your yarmulke on, and you were accepted. And I see that instead of going into the army, you chose, which was compulsory in those days, you chose to go into the Department of Health. Why did you do that? What was it that made you decide you were not going into the army? Okay, so I'll just mention about Wits. Um, they asked me to, if I could be the, and uh, here I'm also grateful to Natalie Knight, Letnatsky, because she introduced me to Peter Mayer from the Wits alumni. And she said, would you be willing to, to be the representative in Israel? And, you know, I remember when I went to dental school, in my class, uh, I wasn't the first because my brother and years before people wore a yamulka, but it was a little bit unusual wearing a yamulka in, in dental school, but I did. And what was amazing is that if there was an exam or if there was a very important lecture that fell on a Jewish holiday, they changed the exam just for me, the whole class. And it was never an issue. So I was so grateful because, you know, people were so accommodating. And what I also remember in dental school is that it was, a, you know, we had 
it was very multiracial in those days. It was during the apartheid era. Uh, we started in um, in 78, so that was at the heart of apartheid. And we had coloreds, blacks, Indians, Muslims, Jews. We were all uh, like we were all, and we all got on so well with each other. And it was race and religion played no part. Um, our friends were made no difference. We all we really united as 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 a class, and we were. It was wonderful. Racism just didn't exist at Vitz Dental School. And what was very interesting, too, is when we had our dental ball every year, the place where we had it was in um, the Oxford Shul Hall. Because in those days, um, blacks and whites couldn't even go into a five-star hotel. It was forbidden. But in the Shul Hall, everybody was welcome, and that's where we used to have our dental ball. So I'm extremely wow. grateful. I'm very grateful to Vitz. So when I graduated, um, I don't know, we were brought up in a family where um, we just, apartheid didn't play any part in, in our lives. We were, you call it liberal, I don't know, we just felt everybody should be equal. So going to the army, I just didn't really believe in it. I had nothing against um, anybody of a different color. It just, I, I felt I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I volunteered to go in, to serve in the department, it was the Department of of health, and I worked in Baraguanath and in the different clinics in Soweto for two years, which, wow. was, an, which was a phenomenal experience. And um, being in the clinics in Soweto during, uh, this was in 84, 85, uh, it was a little tense going into the townships, but it was an eye-opener because, you know, I really got to meet um, the people on the ground there, and uh, you, you really see the inequalities. There were Zola Clinic, was a place in Soweto where there was no electricity. The whole clinic worked on generators. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it was actually quite unbelievable seeing the, you know, coming from like the northern suburbs, going into Soweto, very, not too many whites actually went into Soweto in those days. And you actually saw the tremendous poverty and the inequality. So that had a profound impact on me. But being there and treating patients and we treated them just as we would treat anyone. And um, so when I finished uh, after two years, I joined my brother in Alberton. And it was also quite amazing because we opened, my brother opened this dental practice in Alberton in Favut Park. And um, any patient, regardless of one's color, was accepted. And there were medical and dental practices where they would have separate rooms for black patients at the back. But here, Amazing. I didn't hear everybody was in the same waiting room using use this. You know, there was no discrimination whatsoever. So you really you chose your choice of how to behave. Well, I'll tell you, it was something very interesting. It was something that I didn't even realize how 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 serious it was. My nurse, I had an Afrikaans nurse, and she was a bit uncomfortable when a black patient uh, came on the chair. But she was okay. But what really upset her and she couldn't stay was when after the treatment, I, I said, well, give the glass, you know, that he can rinse out with. And she said, but it's the same glass that I drink from. Oh, and it, it was so, for her, it was, so, you know, I didn't even realize that this was going on. But for her, it was so traumatic that the patient was going to drink from the same glass as her. You know, look, today it seems unimaginable. But in those days, it was really real. So she decided she didn't want to stay there, but we, we, you know, we put the patients first. Every patient was equal. We're going to get back to that shortly. That's fascinating. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. 
only on 101.9 High FM. Hi, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Dr. Les Glassman from Israel. And our topic is in our divided world, is unity possible? And uh, Les is actually showing that it is. And we've got a message from a Mary Ann Alto, and she says, I agree wholeheartedly with the statement to build your life, not your resume. Mary Ann from Northcliffe. Thank you, Mary Ann. Hi, Les. I'm back with you again. If anyone would like to send me us a message, please do so on 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. Les, you know, going back to you and working with your, your brother and with that the nurse and the glass, uh, you know, it's... Only us who who have lived through apartheid can actually understand that. And I'll never forget going to a nursing conference in um, representing South Africa in Montreal in the 1960s, late 1960s. And we, of course, we were a white delegation because apartheid was in full swing. And um, when we got there, we were under a banner that said South Africa. And the next minute, we were totally surrounded by nurses from all over the world, of all colors and all persuasions. And it was just too wonderful. It was a time of such connection. They wanted, they were missing South Africa. They had left because of apartheid. And they wanted to hear what was happening in our country. And it was just it was the most wonderful few days of actually of actual togetherness. That's wonderful. Now, going back to you, Les, you I know that the one thing that you did say that you when you got married to your wife Lucy, which was in nineteen eighty-five, you actually invited nurses and dentists of different persuasions, colours, cultures <laughs> to the wedding. So uh, we had it in um, in the Oxford um, show. And it was amazing because our ner- the nurses, and they were Indian and Muslim, and uh, whoever I worked with, I invited, it was an open invitation, and many actually came to the wedding, and they had never, well, I'd say they, most, well, nearly all, had never ever been inside a synagogue before. And not only that, after the chuppah and after uh, we got married, with the reception, they sat together, and I don't know, so I'm sure you remember, this was in 85, blacks and whites couldn't really sit in the same restaurant or you couldn't be in the same hotel. But here in the um, hall, it was the it was the, the Shul Hall of Oxford Shul. So everybody sat together. And yeah. for them, it was the most incredible experience. They just couldn't believe that they were being treated equally. And yeah. for us, we, we just kind of took it for granted you know it was it wasn't an issue I just felt well it's our wedding I want him to be there and uh, looking back it was a very natural thing but for um, when they came when I came back to work uh, a week later uh, after the Shiva Brachot so they just told me that it really was for them a little life-changing because they had never really experienced that before uh, that they were treated totally equally and their perceptions of Judaism or a synagogue had changed drastically because they were a little bit scared to go because they had never been before. And here they were accepted with open arms. There was no, there never has been ever, I think in the history of South Africa, no no one has ever been uh, forbidden to go into a synagogue. 
which is um, uh, the, the fact isn't Not really so well known. Not many people realize that, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. So you that know, was really wonderful. It was, it was, and I've got video. They, they, I'm so glad that we did video that event. So we, yeah, and they came with their traditional dresses, the uh, the African staff, which, which was unbelievable. And they just enjoyed the whole atmosphere, the dancing. And for them, it was, uh, well, I was just so grateful that they, they came. Absolutely, because there must have been fear there. And you know, the Baal Shem Tov said, uh, fear builds walls to bar the light. Yeah, and, so you know, I think what you're saying is right throughout this this resume, <laughs> so-called <laughs> resume, it's showing me how you actually broke down those walls of fear and connected with people across the world, which is just amazing. You know, I know that you made um, Aliyah in 1994, and, um, but that you came back to South Africa for the elections. What did you actually come back just to vote, or what? What was your okay. reason for coming back? Okay, so when when we made Aliyah, I came with my wife and my daughters, and my brother said to me, I had to redo the exam. It was very difficult, uh, you know, qualif- requalifying in Israel. And my brother said, you know, you have such a connection, and I really did have a tremendous connection in Alberton. Um, it was also very interesting because there we saw patients from all spectrums of South African life. Uh, there were, and I really connected with the patients and he said, it's a pity for you to give it up. So I thought, you know what, I'm still gonna continue my registration and I'm still gonna work in South Africa. And I would go back two or three times a year. And I kept this going on until the corona. Actually, I'd go back twice a year in July and in December. And what was lovely in December when the other dentists would go away for Christmas and New Year, so we would see the emergency patients. And all the dentists in that area, we all actually got on extremely well. We would refer to each other. It was a wonderful camaraderie of uh, the dental fraternity. We all got on exceptionally well. But I came back to South Africa in February because I I still had patients, orthodontic patients that that I was in the middle of treatment. And I really wanted to come back for that election because that election was a very, it was a turning point in the history of South Africa. It was a monumental um, event. And it was a little bit nerve wracking because I don't know if you remember, there was, uh, we thought it might turn into a civil war. Things were very, very, very tense. And I remember going back on the flight, it was rather empty, that flight going back. But um, I did go back and I did vote in that election. And just being part of it, I felt I was being part of South African history because it really was something that people gave up their lives in order to vote in a democratic uh, country. And what Mandela stood for became a reality. So it was wonderful being in South Africa at that time. And I did work as well, but uh, I was just fortunate to, you know, be part of South African history in um, in that election in '94. It certainly was unbelievable that the 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 feeling at the time, and something that Nelson Mandela actually said was, "Don't fear change, change fear." So Sue, can I just, you know, with Nelson Mandela, can I just mention one quote that he that he wrote, which had such a profound impact on me mm. when he when he was I remember watching on TV and I think the whole country was glued when the day that he was released from prison and I think it was the Victor Vestia prison when he when he left so he said as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom 
I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and my hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And, you know, knowing his history, knowing what he went through, not only in those 27 years, but reading his biography, um, he they wouldn't allow him to bury his son when his son yeah. died. And he pleaded with them. He said, it's our tradition. I have to bury my son. But they wouldn't. It was very, very cruel what they did. And he really suffered. But, you know, he rose. I mean, he he is an example that we can all strive to emulate. He rose against such adversity. He, he he was unbelievable. And in his book, Long Walk to Freedom, in his biography, he has something also. He had tremendous karasatov, that's uh, gratitude. He writes there that the Jewish um, community really stood out, that um, many of his friends were Jewish and they helped him in the struggle. And he mentions in particular Lars Sadelsky. And Lars's son, Dov, uh, and Colin, I know quite well. Dov lives here in Beitvagan. And he wrote a little book called Mandela's Boss. Because uh, his father, actually, Walter Sassoula approached him. And he asked him, could you give my, my friend, um, he needed to do articles. And Nelson also, he, he studied at Wits. And there he also had, um, but he, I think he graduated, he had to do it um, through UNISA. But... Uh, but what happened is that he needed to do articles and nobody wanted to take him because he was black. And uh, Lars Sadelsky actually took him in. As, mm-hmm. And that's, that's where he did his articles. And that's where he got his, you know, he could qualify as a lawyer. And he treated him equally as everybody else. And I Mandela. Remember, I remember reading that uh, when he took off his gown uh, and uh, hung it behind, he asked where he should put it. And he was told with the others, you know, with mine behind the yeah. door. And, and he was so surprised. Madiba was so surprised that that's what he was being told to do. You know, it was equal. So what happened is that uh, Dov wrote a little book, a little booklet called Mandela's Boss. And if I could just mention this to you, when I met the South African ambassador, Sisa uh, Ngombeni, when he came to Israel, I had a meeting with him in and I brought two books. There was one, it's a very large coffee table book, a very nice book on Mandela and the Jewish community. And I also brought this little book, which was my book, uh, Mandela's Bus by Barry and uh, Colin Sadalski. And I showed him both books. And Cesar, the ambassador, he was only interested in that little book on Mandela's <laughs> Bus. And I said, you know, you can have it with pleasure. It's, you know, I'll get another one. And But it really is amazing because it sh- just showed the human touch that Lars treated him equally like every every other, you know, any anyone else. He was treated mm. equally. But in those days, it, it wasn't so obvious. Now, that, that particular YouTube of yours on Nelson Mandela's legacy that you actually did in Israel with the then ambassador is a very good YouTube. I actually want to mention to people that you, you have many YouTubes out there. How can they access those, Les? So they just go to, okay, now this I also do, We don't, I don't do it for any financial gain. because um, I've been very privileged to meet with, thank God, with many survivors, Holocaust survivors, which I feel very passionate about um, just documenting their stories. So I was also asked to, um, to, do, to record at the Great Synagogue and the OU, the Israel Center in Chabad. But for Wits, the Wits alumni, so when we had our event, it was... Um, Seven years ago, I think in 2014, um, we wanted to honor 
the legacy of Nelson Mandela. And we had this event at Tel Aviv University. And it was just when the, when the Gaza war had broken out. It was a week after my daughter's wedding. It was incredible because the week before, life was, was unbelievable and people were so many tourists. And then a week later, fortunately, we had the rockets and the Gaza war started. And we didn't know that the event was going to take place, but it actually did. And 200 people attended. But what was amazing about that event, Sue, is that we had a member of the Knesset, Dov Lipman. He actually opened the event. Uh, Nick Walpi from Lily's Leap, the CEO, he actually came to that event as well. And I don't know if our listeners remember Benjamin Pogrant, who was the deputy editor of the Rand Daily Mail, who was a very close close friend of uh, Nelson Mandela before he was incarcerated, during the incarceration, even after. He remained in very close uh, contact with Nelson Mandela all those years. And um, Tova Herzl, Tova Herzl, who's, uh, she was the, the Israeli ambassador to Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia. And then in 94, she was the Israeli ambassador in South Africa. So she was our MC. We asked her to be the MC. And what's very interesting about Tova, her mother, uh, Rachel, who lives in the old city, who's in her 90s, bless her. She is one of the most incredible people I've ever met. She's a survivor. A Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz, and I was very fortunate to actually be in her home and to just document her story. And that video is actually going to be in the um, Cape Town Holocaust Museum. But what an amazing, incredible, unbelievable person Tova's mother is. Anyway, we had this event, but then we also invited uh, Bassam Ed, who I think you know, he's um, from the Palestinian Human Rights um, he's a Monitor. And he also spoke at that event. So what was quite phenomenal is we had a Palestinian, we had an Israeli, we had a member of the Knesset, we had the South African ambassador. It was such a wonderful, you know, the keynote speakers. It was just unbelievable how everybody just contributed and gave over their stories and it was open to to the public, whoever wanted to come could come and ask any questions. And there were many people that came. There were Eritrean refugees that were there in the hall that even asked questions. And it was just a wonderful, special event. So tell me, Les, listening to you and having come through apartheid myself and lived through the, the terrible results of it and how we're still suffering because of it in South Africa, and Israel being called an apartheid state, which absolutely makes my blood boil. Do you think it's possible to disagree with someone, but to still live in peace with them? Okay, so absolutely. So, Sue, can I just tell you what happened? Uh, also, you know, you it's such a wonderful title. You said, is unity possible? So, um, it's, 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 this, is, this was a, through an experience. Um, was seven years ago, I'll never forget, there was one week that really changed my life a bit. It was in November in 2014. On a Sunday night, Israel was playing an international soccer game in Haifa at the semi Offa Stadium. And I went, I'm a very keen soccer supporter and I always support Israel. And um, in the Israeli national team, people don't know this, but about a third of the team is made up of, of Israeli Arabs who are mainly Muslim. I never knew that. Now, at at the interval, and this was, there were 30,000 people, maybe even more, I think it was full to capacity, about 33,000 people. 
at the interval, um, the Israeli Football Association, they honored the, uh, the Israeli iconic goalkeeper called Mir Davidovich. He played for Maccabi Haifa and he got a standing ovation. And then they honored another Israeli player called Walid Badir. Walid Badir is an Israeli Arab and he played also for Maccabi Haifa and Hapoel Tel Aviv. And he actually captained Hapoel Tel Aviv. And he played in 74 international games for Israel. And he scored 12 goals for the Israeli national team. And I remember going with my daughter to the game when, we, when Israel played against France in 2006. And in the very first minute of that game, France scored. So we were losing 1-0. And in the 83rd minute, Wally Badia scored the equalizer. And the crowd was in Ramat Gan. The crowd went ecstatic. We, were, we couldn't believe it. Here we had France that actually won the World Cup that year, that we actually equalized with the top one of the top teams in the world. Possibly it was the top team in the world. And it was a Muslim Israeli Arab that, that, uh, that scored the goal. So, um, you know, when I have patients that are Palestinian, um, I had a very close friend of mine was the, is the South African ambassador to the Palestinian Authority. He came as a patient and we became very close friends and we remain close friends and his wife and his son, they come to me and his, uh, extended, his wife's family, their patients. And, you know, we don't all agree on, on many things, but we agree on other things. You don't have to agree with, you know, everybody's their own, um, their own ideas and their own, um, you know, you can, whatever you, you know, you feel about the situation, you don't have to agree with each other. You can agree to disagree. But when you see each other. We're okay. going to get back to that shortly, Les. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Dr. Les Glassman. And Les, you were just saying there that you don't have to agree, but you can still enjoy being with each other. And that made me think of how often we've got to replace other people with I, so yeah. that we take them out of those brackets and we look at ourselves instead. No, absolutely. So, so I'll just mention, so that, that it was those three nights, the Sunday night I went to that soccer game, and what was a little bit so sad about that event, when we had the same Wally Badir, he also got a standing ovation, and 30,000 people, and I was there, I witnessed it myself, everybody stood up and gave the same standing ovation for Wally Badir as they gave for Nia Davidovich. Huh. It was absolutely incredible. But you know what the sad thing is? It didn't appear in the press. Such a positive, wonderful story just didn't appear. In, you know, that should have made headlines throughout the world because it Thanks. really was a monumental event. The next night was my, my niece's wedding, which was on the Monday night. And then, unfortunately, on the Tuesday morning, there was a terrible event in Hanoff, um, in um, Agassi Street, um, in um, the Kilat B'nai Torah Shul, where four rabbis, unfortunately, were massacred. And one of the rabbis was my patient, uh, Rabbi Goldberg. And his daughter was actually at my niece's wedding the night before. Um. But what was amazing about that is that there was a Druze um, police officer, Zidane Sif, who actually came to help rescue, you know, in the massacre. And he was also killed. 
And the whole of the Hanoth community, they got together and they um, they went to visit the family of this Drew's police officer who gave his life also to try and, and save. So, you know, it's, it's amazing that um, when, you, when they speak about apartheid in Israel, it's just... It's the total opposite. Here we have groups like Hatzola, where you have Muslims, Christians, Jews, all working together. You go to the hospitals, and I, I live right above Shari Tzedek. In the hospitals, I worked in Wilson in a medical center. To this very day, I don't know which doctor was Muslim, Christian. It made no difference. I still don't know, and I never. it didn't interest me to know. What difference does it make? Everybody, you know, and the, you go see a specialist. You don't want to know. Uh, what religion or, um, you know, where he's standing on the political spectrum, it's, it's irrelevant. You've seen Absolutely. the person for, for his expertise. You're looking at the person as the person. And not- I must admit, Les, that I remember when, when my granddaughter was born in, um, in uh, at Sheba Hospital, and I remember standing at the the nursery entrance at and we're looking at all the little children there there was such a mixture of cultures there and i thought to myself here you are all you know lying side by side coming into this world and my prayer was that please god one day you'll all sit by side at a table and come to some sort of peaceful agreement well please god but you know when you when you actually live in say in jerusalem which is a melting pot of all the different nationalities and religions and you go on the light train and you all together sharing seats together and everybody just wants to you know just to get on with their lives and bring up their families and and work and and make a good living and and make a good life for their families absolutely now Liz, I just wanted to know, going off the subject of Israel for a moment, I know that you're very involved with, as an international, how do you pronounce it, philatelic. Uh, yeah, philatelic. You're the international philatelic commissioner for the last 12 years. And just explain to people what this is, please. Okay, so um, my father was a very avid stamp collector, and he was very knowledgeable, and he instilled this love for stamps into um, his children, both my brothers and my sister and myself, but I really took it to, <laughs> I was very involved in stamps. I love stamps and I used to collect animals on stamps and especially dogs and cats. And I just loved it. And any letter that came, I would just keep the stamps and my main collection was dogs and cats on stamps. And I actually exhibited in, it was then uh, Rhodesia, uh, representing South Africa there when I was a youth. But I got very involved in writing up exhibits. I, c- I collected an exhibit on Jerusalem, and I started collecting the old letters of, from, from, from Jerusalem, which I found fascinating. And um, when I came to Israel um, in 94, I had a collection of uh, Jerusalem, which I exhibited, and they asked me if I could be any, a commissioner. Commissioner means that you take collections, people write up their collections, and they are exhibited at international exhibitions that everybody can see and uh, enjoy. And they have these exhibits all over the world. So the very first, when I was a commissioner, was in Joburg in 2010. And I'll never forget, I came to the exhibition, it was in Santa in the Convention Center. It was a wonderful international exhibition. 
And there I saw the Pakistani and the Indian commissioners, and they weren't speaking to each other because there's a big conflict between sometimes Pakistan and, and India. And the Pakistani commissioner had asked me, he saw me with the Yamal Khan, and he said to me, oh, how, what do I do for halal? And I, I, I thought, you know, I, I don't know. So I went out, I got a packet of Simba crisps, I gave it to him and said, this is the halal sign. Any product that's got, the, I showed him the betting sign and the halal sign that you can eat. And I could still see that they just weren't interacting, the Pakistani and the Indian. And then I, we just got together over a cup of coffee and we started speaking cricket. And I mentioned, <laughs> uh, and you know, the, all barriers broke down. I mentioned Tenduka and Khan and you know, they, they, then they started speaking and they became the, such close friends. And they stuck <laughs> together for the rest of that exhibition. Oh, well, that's amazing. But uh, see, I'll just mention, you know, there's a saying, and it's true, that stamps... They know no boundaries. They cross oceans and seas throughout the world. And in 2012, I was very fortunate. They asked me because the reason why they asked me is that, that I could go in on my South African passport to be the commissioner in Indonesia, in Jakarta. And I went with my wife. It was quite an interesting experience because Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. With uh, In those days, it was over a quarter of a 250 million Muslims, and um, there's no diplomatic relations with Israel. But uh, I was afforded the opportunity to come in and to represent Israel there, and I could go in on my South African passport. And we actually went, and it was absolutely phenomenal. When we were in Singapore just before for Shabbat, what had happened is they asked all the commissioners to come on Shabbat to, to go through the customs. Because it's a big deal. You bring these very valuable collections and it has to go through customs. And I spoke to the um, the organizers and I mentioned to, to you know, keep Shabbat. Would it at all be possible to come on the Sunday? And they made special arrangements that I could come. And we spent Shabbat in Singapore. And I remember in the shul, uh, we were speaking to the Israeli ambassador then. I told him that we were heading out for Jakarta. And he said, oh, don't wear your yarmulke there. It's too dangerous. So I don't know what to expect. And when we got to the airport and we were right in the arrivals, there was a sign, which I'll never forget. It said death penalty to drug traffickers. So, uh, you know, you're going to the unknown. But as we got uh, to the customs officials and the ta and after that went very smoothly, the taxi driver that took us to this wonderful hotel um, in Jakarta, I decided I'm not going to wear my, my cap. I'll just wear my yarmulke like I always do. And it was absolutely incredible. Nobody, um, I had no ill feelings. Everybody knew I was coming from Israel. We were accepted so incredibly warmly. It was something unbelievable. I was, I just couldn't believe the hospitality. How wonderful. Um, you know what, I'm being told to wrap up and there's so much more that I want to ask you, Les. You're gonna have to come back. Thank you, Craig. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. We're going to have to wrap up in a moment. Um, Liz, uh, you know what? You actually brought such unity into today. And the, Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change that you wish to see in the world. I believe that you very much 
spoke about that today, the change that you have brought in. And I thank you so much. We are going to be ending very shortly with a lovely song, which will not come through on the podcast. It's uh, It was by, by Aloe Black and Simon Sinek, which is called Together is Better Than One. And for any of you out there, I would suggest that you looked up the YouTube. It's so lovely. Liz, how would you like to end? Okay, so Sue, first of all, I really want to thank you so much. I am extremely grateful to you. It's been such an honor and privilege to be on your show. Can I end off with one, with one saying from, uh, and I think this, this really encapsulates everything, uh, from Hillel Hazaken, Hillel the Elder. He was a preeminent sage of ours. And he said when a convert wanted to come in, he said, tell me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. He said, that what is hateful to you, don't do unto another. That is the entire Torah. The rest is just interpretation. Um, go and study. And that's basically the bottom line. It's something that's don't do unto others that you wouldn't want them to do unto you. That, that's, that, that, is, that is the bottom line. So uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, Sue. This has been such an incredible time being together. I love your show. I listen to it nearly every week, and I am extremely grateful to you. Thank, thank you, Liz. You very it's much. lovely seeing you, meeting you, and seeing you on screen at least. Perhaps one day we'll meet in real life, Tom. Please, God. Please, <laughs> for sure. Not, not perhaps, definitely. We really must. Definitely. Thank you very much, Craig. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Aloe Black. He is the singer of a song called Together is Better. And this is Simon Sinek. He is the author of a book called Together is Better. Yeah, I mean, it could be the first time an adult book has been published with a song related to it. And I've been thinking about this for a very long time. How can I have one of my songs um, uh, released with a, a book, with a publisher or a writer, um, or to even score the pages of a, of a novel? I think is a really interesting concept. Um, and when Simon asked if I could, um, you know, attend his book launch, and he told me the title of the book, I said, well, co coincidentally, I have a song with the same title. And it turns out they're pretty much about the same things. Together is better. Together is better. I would not be where I am today if it weren't for the love and devotion and care and hard work of many people around me. It's certainly not me. You know, there's lots of people with good ideas, and I'm unbelievably lucky that, that, that I met people along the way who wanted to help me spread my message uh, to others. And I'm fully aware of that. And no matter what I write and all the work that I do and all the talks that I give, there's this one thread that goes through all my work that we are social animals and we are better together. I wanted to capture this one singular, beautiful, just elegant, idea and that's where the book came from. I've always found that you know great things can be accomplished alone but amazing things can be accomplished in collaboration. Uh, it's hard to make a great song by yourself. Uh, it's always better I think to have m many minds uh, involved and the song Together is Better really is about that helping hand. Whether it's a helping hand because you're in need or a helping hand in order to enhance the experience um, that you're already engaging. I think it's a perfect sentiment.
you have a humility where you recognize that um, there's people around you who give you a venue and give you a space to, to shine. So it's not just that there's a song in this book. I'm glad that it's your song.